Good morning. You guys are awake. This is good. Uh, I'm a grown-up, right? I, I think I'm a grown-up. I, I, I feel like I'm generally a pretty secure person. Like, I know who I am. I'm fairly confident in, in myself and in my place in the world. But I remember I also carry with me uh, inside a 13 to 14-year-old kid uh, who was at a new school for my freshman year of high school uh, who would wander the halls feeling depressed, uh, feeling uh, like when there was an extended bell period of 10 minutes or so, that when everybody turned to somebody else to talk to, I had nowhere to go and didn't know where I belonged. And I would duck into the bathroom, and I would wipe a couple tears, and I would pretend to go to the bathroom, and then I'd go, go back out, right? I was desperate for a way to belong, a way to fit in. And I think as an adult, so I, I'm an adult, I'm, I'm kind of in center of this community as a pastor, right? I definitely have a place to belong, so I take it for granted. But when that's removed, when I feel like I don't belong, I, I, that same kid comes back. And I'm wandering around, and I get tears to my eyes, and I wonder, is, do I belong? Is there a place that I belong? My need to belong, my need for a place where I could put my identity uh, you know, they have a lot of things for kids like me in high school, right? Uh, there's a lot of ways. I went back to a school where I knew more people, actually, the next year, and I realized, man, how, you know, how am I going to fit in? How am I going to find a place and an identity? And there's these magical things. When I was in high school, it was really popular to actually wear your identity on a jacket. And, and I could earn, if I worked hard enough, I could earn a letter that said I was a varsity athlete, right, in football. And so I put my, my work and my identity into getting that letter. I remember uh, working so hard. I'd lift weights. I'd run as hard as I could. I ran myself silly. I worked super hard. I got on the football team, and I became an athlete, and I wore my letterman jacket proudly. And all of a sudden, it was like magic. It, it probably didn't matter to anybody, right? But I felt like I fit. I felt like because I could wear this thing, I'd put in the work, that everybody knew that I belonged, that I was part of things, and that I fit. And, I, and, and then it wasn't enough now to just get the letter, and then I got all kinds of little badges and bars and stars on my jacket that showed that I belonged. I kept doing football um, all the way into college where I, my identity on the football team, man, it got even more intense in college, right? You had to eat with the football team. I realized I didn't even like the guys on the football team. <laughs> I was spending all my time around them but I didn't know how to be or to belong outside of being and belonging as a football player. But eventually, after my sophomore year, I quit the football team, and I grew out a beard, and I felt kind of lost and alone again. But then all the bearded guys with guitars were like, hey, man, what's up? They, they never had talked to me before, right? All of a sudden, I had a new chance 
to have an identity. I think, I think when we're looking at Galatians, uh, when we're looking at what the Holy Spirit is, is telling us, these factors of who we are, of our need to belong, and the way that that interacts in our relationship with God uh, is central to what's going on to Galatian Christians and to what the Holy Spirit is speaking into their community through the Apostle Paul. Let's read uh, together. I made one translation change, so you might notice it's different if you memorize Galatians. And I'll explain it later. It says, we who are Jews by birth, sounds like a cool identity, and not sinful Gentiles, makes it seem pretty clear what the right side of that is, uh, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed then I would really be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul is talking about the works of the law. The works of the law, so this, this text that I've got, uh, these verses in Galatians are kind of like the most theologically dense, scholarly, disputed, but like foundational uh, aspects of a lot of um, theology and Christian faith. And so I'm gonna do my best not to be exhaustive but to point us to where I think the scripture uh, is is talking to us and and has us for today. Um, But one of the the first phrases that's often thought about and disputed is that phrase, the works of the law. 
We're not justified by works of the law. And, and what I believe Paul is talking about when he's talking about works of the law isn't just any guidelines that are good or bad. It's not saying, like, just by being good enough, you think you're going to be in. But particularly by, by what was established as boundary marker religious identity type works. So Paul is going in, uh, we talked about how he's going into this community where there's people that want the Gentile Galatians, who are Christians, to be circumcised, to take on all these identity markers that make them clearly one of God's people by doing what God has said uh, in the Old Testament. So they want to be marked out and separated from the Gentile sinners. So, So Paul's audience is... Christians, so they're understanding this. They're not thinking that Paul is saying that all Gentiles are sinful, but that's like the comment, the catchphrase out there. Like, oh, if you sit with Gentile sinner, you know, non-Jewish and sinner all goes together. If you're not Jewish, you're a sinner. You could become Jewish, uh, even if you're not ethnically Jewish, by being circumcised, by taking on these identity markers that say that you want to identify as one of the people of God. So, so the identity markers are the works of the law. And we have a tendency, uh, and, and what the, the works of the law would do was separate uh, God's people away from the things that could contaminate God's people. Does that make sense? Uh, I think of um, kind of the conception of sin that Paul's opponents have is a little bit like blackberry bushes in my yard, right? Blackberries in Oregon, it's great that I can go anywhere and eat a blackberry. I love that. I just wish I couldn't go anywhere in my yard and eat a blackberry because I'm trying to keep them out of my yard. Right? I'm trying to keep the blackberries out of my yard. But in order to do that, I have to be constantly vigilant because they're in my neighbor's yard. And they're down the street and they're carried everywhere. They just naturally encroach and grow in. I also love Portland and Oregon's beautiful open spaces, right? But I'm always sad when, when you see the blackberries start to creep in to like Forest Park, right? And the ivy, the ivy is another invasive species. It, does, it doesn't belong there. So whenever I see somebody getting rid of blackberries, uh, I'll be out on a run or something. I'll be like, yes, you're getting rid of the blackberries. Fight the good fight. Uh, they're contaminating us. They're invasive. They just take over and they prick us with thorns. So, so the idea around the works of the law, the, the identity markers around being Jewish is that you create an identity that keeps you identified and pure from that sin, uh, particularly that Gentile, you know, those other folks, the sin that could contaminate you. The sin that could keep you from being identified as God's people. And so there's a temptation in that to think that I belong because of the identity markers I take. And there's something in the heart of who we are that wants to believe that we can do something to make us belong. Oftentimes we want that thing to be really hard, right? And so we make it really hard. 
I worked, I worked hard enough, and I've got the letter or the thing, or I benched 500 pounds, or I did whatever. I got the 26.2 sticker on the back of my car. Whatever I did, but I'd, like, I belong in some, some way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And for the people, uh, the Judaizers is what Paul, uh, we call sometimes Paul's opponents. They wanted people to become Jewish by doing these works of the law. The works of the law were things like not eating pork, right? That was in the Bible. Don't eat pork. It was things like circumcision. It was things like not touching dead things, staying away from lepers, washing your hands in just the right way before you eat, not eating with the wrong people, not being with the wrong people. What are our identity markers now? Because I, I don't think this is just a Galatian problem. I don't think our need to identify and purify ourselves from others is just a Galatian problem. And I think just like for the Galatians and, and for, uh, for the Judaizers, there's good intentions behind some of these things. The idea of staying clear of lepers, right? That makes sense in a public health way right? Washing your hands before you eat. There's a lot of things that, that are really good and important. There's, it's not like there's no reason behind them, but I think that we still do some of these things today. We live in a world where our identity can be very wrapped up in certain, certain markers that, that I'm just beginning to be more and more aware of. I, as when I first moved to Southeast Portland, uh, you know, 10 years ago and started hanging out with people, I, I told people that I liked McDonald's, right? I quickly learned that, that there's an identity marker around where we eat and what we eat, right? I think, I think it's calmed down some now, you know, but no, it's not. You still have to know the name of the chicken you eat. Um, <laughs> The, but but there's and, and what farm they were from. But but there's there's good things about eating a certain way. Not to say it's not good things, but but things that that are just good take on a certain identity, where we shop or where we don't shop, what we post on Facebook, what we're outraged by, what we let people know our position is on this thing or on that thing. We want to have, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm this kind of Christian. We want, right? We want to have the right identity marker that justifies us, that puts us in a group that's on the right side of things, uh, where we know that we belong and we feel safe and secure. At least we belong to these people, and at least we're in the right. And there's ways that our, our efforts to really be right and to be good uh, sometimes at first start out with just the ethical intention, and it's great, but it can easily slip back into being an, just an identity marker that's used to separate us from the contagion uh, that could encroach and make us not belong or make us just like everybody else, to not be justified or allowed in to God's kingdom, maybe, in some way. 
what are, what are your identity markers? So we're not justified by these identity markers. We don't fit in because of the identity markers, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Uh, most English translations have this as faith in Jesus Christ. So, so it's, uh, the, the Greek construction of the phrase is a genitive, which is kind of translated like the faith of Christ. So if I told you the faith of Christ, that would, seem, that would be kind of ambiguous. You could kind of think that's Christian faith, right? Or is it Christ's faith? And I think linguistically, I'm not going to bore you with the entire argument, I think linguistically and contextually that what Paul is saying is that in, in some, I mean, he talks about the importance of belief in other places and, and our faith, and it's, it's very central and important. But I think what he's saying is even a step farther back from you're marked out by what you believe about God is that you're marked out by what God has done for you that it's the faithfulness of Christ. It's the faithfulness of God to God's promise that justifies you. And it's less about you than you might think. Does that make sense? There's a big story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is all about God's promise and God's faithfulness. Uh, God created a world that was good, that was beautiful, but that was marred by sin and rebellion. And then God immediately starts promising, things are going to change. I'm going to do something. The offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Then he promises to Abraham, now I am going to make you into a great nation. It's not, it's not about who Abraham is or that Abraham's so great. It's that God is going to do something through Abraham that I'm going to bless all the nations through you. This was always the plan. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus is the faithfulness of God's promise, the completion of the promise that God is going to bring, uh, bring things right, that God is going to restore and remake a damaged and broken creation. And Jesus does this in a way that, that confounds the identity marker uh, faith of his time. When Jesus comes into the scene, he's consistently accused of being a sinner because he's eating with sinners, of violating the law by not washing his hands right. Jesus actually goes and violates some of these identity markers by being in a graveyard with, with a person who has demons, right? A demon-possessed person. He violates it by touching lepers. And you know what happens in the purpose of Jesus. Jesus says, no, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus overflowed the law so that instead of protecting himself against the damage of sin, that was what was contagious, is the sinful evil that's encroaching on everything that's good. Instead of protecting himself from the damage of that evil, Jesus is the thing that's contagious. God's holiness 
is the thing that's contagious, that's more powerful. Now it's evil that has to be on the run. And so there's a new era where the the faithfulness of Jesus, his faithfulness to his promise, reverses the tide of protecting ourselves against evil to being filled with God's holiness and being part of what puts evil on the run along with Jesus. That's what we're called into. Paul goes on to say it like this. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? That's the thing. If you end up imitating Jesus, if you live in the way that Jesus lives, if the faithfulness of Jesus is what justifies you, what makes you belong, then you will find yourself among the sinners, right? And that's the very opposite of meaning that Christ promotes sin. It means that the contact of what's holy is putting evil on the run again. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. There's a deep sense where Christ's death uh, pays for our sin uh, and so that we can, we can be justified before God. But the deepest sense of our justification in Scripture is that we actually become united with Christ. And it's not so much that we don't get punished for the things that we, didn't, that we did or we don't get punished for the things we did and we get the re- a reward that doesn't fit. It's that the life of Christ is welling up in us. And all of a sudden, we belong to Jesus and we belong in the kingdom in a way that's irrefutable before God. That he couldn't get rid of us any more than he could get rid of the Jesus who lives in us. Does that make sense? We belong to Jesus because we're united with Jesus. We die his death and his resurrection. And we live his resurrection. But we still face challenges. Paul's still coming in hot. He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? This is, this is the phrase that's really... Um, I'm glad the kids are having fun out there. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? This is the phrase that, that always um, was coming to my mind through the week. The bewitching power of these identity marker uh, religion. The bewitching power that even when you know what God's done for you, we still want to grasp onto things that we've done ourselves. We still want to grasp onto our right opinions Uh, to our right actions as the things that really make us okay. And it's bewitching, and it happens over and over again. Who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And that's the union with Christ that that comes with the cost. Because we're going to see later uh, that the Galatian Christians... 
if they're going to do what Paul says and not give in to this identity marker, then they have to wade back into that place that I was at in ninth grade at a new school, that place where I've got nothing to identify myself with and I feel alone and afraid and judged, right? Paul is asking them to identify with Christ and his death because Christ was willing to let be misidentified, to not take on the identity markers in a way that led to his ultimate death. And we're asked to follow with him in that. We're asked to follow with him in that in a way that puts us into contact with people that good folks might not think we should be in contact with. Right? To not have a place to hang our hat of being the right one, the good one, the best one. I know that for some of us, just being associated with a church puts us at odds with some people, right? And then not being associated with a church puts us at odds with other people, right? There's ways that, that, uh, that we're called to be part of a community and, and part of God's people in a way that when we really follow Christ, we are going to take up our cross and follow after him in a way that we're misunderstood. That we can't cling to those markers that would make us fit into the right group and feel safe at the right time. We're called to be unified with Jesus. And I love this last question that Paul asks. Oh. I would like to learn just one thing from you. This is a beautiful question that points to their history. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Isn't that amazing? I love that Paul can point back to a specific experience in the life of these Christians, that they would know, I I received the Spirit. Uh, There is something specific, uh, perhaps, in in the New Testament where, uh, where you see quite a few times when the gospel goes forth into new areas or new places, that believers receive the Holy Spirit with uh, something that, that seems obvious and powerful. So sometimes it's speaking in tongues, and then other times it's related here that there's these miracles that are getting worked out. And I don't think that that means that it was just for that time, that those things should never or could never happen to us, but it was very clear, it was very clear for them that the life of Christ, the Spirit of God, is active and alive, and I can point back to the place where I know God is at work in me. And they could point back to the fact that it didn't come once they started doing, stopped eating pork, right? It didn't come when they posted just the right response to the news on Facebook, right? Like, it, it came in a way that was transformative. It came in a way that changed who they were and where they saw through the miracles of healing or or other manifestations of the Spirit 
they saw the ways that God's faithfulness could overflow into their world and put evil on the run and Christ's kingdom on the advance. So again, I ask, does God give us his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Boundary marker religion uh, or just boundary marker living is a bewitching uh, trap that leaves us working harder and harder to fit in. There's no end to how much you need to do to finally feel like you fit, to finally feel what you belong. But the faithfulness of Christ came for you. And it can be a troubling reality to ground our identity in that faithfulness of Christ, in the fact that he's been true to his promise, that he's showed up in our lives in some way that's touched us, and it's expressed itself in the things that we find ourselves saying, that I believe in Christ that I believe in his death and resurrection. And somehow, even though you may not feel it all the time, that that means Christ is living in you. What the Apostle Paul goes on to argue, what scripture goes on to argue, is man, you you can get in the way of that growing life, that invasive power of holiness, by continuing to try to mark yourself apart and to separate yourself from others with the identities and boundaries that you would want to pile on. We have an opportunity to live in this freedom and life that Scripture promises, this freedom and life of the kingdom of God coming into our midst and working through us that puts us with the wrong people, right? And the wrong people can change depending on what identities you have, right? (laughs) It just depends Some, sometimes, and, and, and often, you might realize that the wrong people are here in your church, in our midst, right? And part of us wants to cast them out like blackberries, right? But we have the opportunity to trust that the power of God's holiness can do something beautiful and marvelous in our midst, that the power of God working in us and through us is stronger than the way that our need to identify as not that kind of person or not that kind of person or just this right kind of person. That it can grow us into the things that rebuild and restore our relationships, our lives, and the world. We're not a place... We're not a group of people that has it all right. We're not even a group of people that's, that's based on getting it all right. And we kind of know we won't. But we can see evil on the run as we lean into our identity in Christ. Will you pray with me?
God, would you continue to be faithful to us? We thank you for calling us yours, for giving us a place of belonging in your people. And for giving us a purpose in your world. God, and I pray that you would uh, strengthen us, nurture us in the knowledge that you're enough, in the ability to foster uh, your life springing up within us that puts us in contact with all the wrong people and all the right ways to see your kingdom grow. to see evil on the run and to see love and unity uh, just light the way to you, to your love for us. Be with us as we continue uh, to look to you to be our rock and our guide. In Jesus' name we pray.